You know, when St. Thomas asks, what's the point of the Bible? And he's very clear throughout his career, the point of the Bible is to bring men to eternal life. The reality is what makes Thomas great is he's simple. Welcome to the Catholic Theology Show, presented by Ave Maria University. I'm your host, Michael Dauphiné. And today I am joined by my good friend, uh, Dr. John Boyle, who serves as the Chair of Catholic Studies at the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I'd like to jump right in today with a question for you, Dr. Boyle. So I've recently heard an anti-Catholic apologist uh, by the name of James White who argues that Catholic theology in general, and Aquinas in particular, have basically forfeited the biblical revelation and replaced it with Aristotelian philosophy. So how would you answer that question? Great to be with you, Dr. Dauphin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a question. Um, well, it certainly reflects a, uh, a vision of St. Thomas that uh, was prominent. Uh, probably apparently still is very prominent in, in Protestant circles. And it's, it's understandable that if, if, if one thinks about St. Thomas a certain kind of way, reads the Summa a certain kind of way, ignoring the biblical citations, seeing the Aristotle, taking offense at Aristotle, uh, one starts to think, oh gosh, this is just dominated by Aristotle, which is just code for paganism. Uh, and therefore, we've compromised the fundamental Christian revelation. And with St. Thomas, the concern is, you look at the Summa, well, there's some scripture in there, but is there enough? Well, the real issue there, there's ways of reading the Summa, we can always talk about that. But of course, it ignores the fact that St. Thomas wrote many, many commentaries on scripture. Uh, this is, as a master of theology, his principal task uh, his task was not to write the Summa, that's in his free time. His principal task is disputed questions and commenting on Scripture, uh, which he did at, uh, at great length. Now, the problem is that they've been well, woefully understudied. Uh, we haven't had English translations for most of them until recently, so I can't blame him for not knowing about this and probably not having read them. On the other hand, it's probably true if he were to read them, he probably wouldn't like them. That's great. No, uh, it is wonderful. What do you can you say more to people who haven't aren't familiar with say what Aquinas did for his day job? <laughs> yeah, the day the day job of a master of theology consists really of two things. Uh, Thomas was a master of theology at Paris twice in his life, uh, and then uh, taught internal to the order. But he essentially did the same thing. Uh, and as I said, there's two things. One, what are called disputed questions. And that consists of when a master announces he'll discuss some topic in public, and folk can come and he puts the question out there. It's always a question. He doesn't defend theses. This is an important distinction between the world of St. Thomas and the, by the time we get to Martin Luther, where he's defending theses. Thomas poses questions, as all of his contemporaries do, always questions that admit of yes or no, and then his colleagues would arrive and they would argue on either side of this. And then the job of the master was actually not to determine the answer at that moment. Uh, he had to go away and think about it. And his job was to answer the question and then take account of everything that was said in that debate. So 
He's obviously going to come down on, more or less on one of the two sides, but that doesn't mean you can ignore the other side. It means you have to come up with a conceptual answer that's big enough, capacious enough, to actually account for all those other positions. Uh, and St. Thomas did this many, many times in his career. Uh, and the beauty of it being questions, not theses, is he's not in the position of defending something at all cost. Here's what I hold. I dare you to unseat me. Mm -hmm. It's rather, let's think through this question together. So he does that. He's a master of it. Uh, footnote. Uh, there's a wonderful optional form of this uh, in the 13th century called the quadlibital question, uh, which means I'll answer any question anybody asks. Yes. It's almost uh, like the uh, ask me anything on Reddit it, it, in the medieval form. It, it's the ask me anything. It's an opportunity for those who don't like you to ask embarrassing questions. Um, and it's also a chance for folk who just have serious questions to get them answered. So that's part of St. Thomas's day. The other part of his day, as I said, which is uh, probably the most important part, is commenting on scripture. Uh, the Middle Ages was a period where foundational texts mattered. And for the theologian, the foundational text, um, perhaps a surprise to our friend Mr. White, the foundational text is scripture. So all masters of theology were required to lecture on scripture. So this is what St. Thomas does uh, consistently all through his professional career. That's wonderful. Um, I do think that idea too that Fundamentally, Aquinas is a professor of theology, mm -hmm. right? That's what a master meant mm -hmm. at the University of Paris. And he was often educating people that were going to become uh, priests, bishops, right? And all these yep. different elements. So they needed to learn theology. And the way they primarily learned theology was by reading the Gospel of John and then hearing Aquinas's commentary on the Gospel of John. Uh, it's fascinating uh, that Aquinas commented on all of the epistles of Paul, mm -hmm. right? And we have that in a, a beautiful edited version from, right, uh, you know, all the way from, you know, all, all the letters of Paul yep. and the elements. So I think that's just, in a way, partly people kind of often misunderstand, you know, what Aquinas did in this kind of picture we have mm -hmm. of the Middle Ages. Uh, so I really think that's helpful to contextualize that. So maybe another question I would ask is, what are ways that, Maybe let's just say if we've established, right, that in a way Aquinas loves the Bible, okay? Yes, he does. Right? So what are ways that maybe the Bible loves Aquinas, right? And what I mean by this yeah, What do you is, mean by that, Dr. Duffin? What are ways that, right, that Aquinas helps us to read the Bible? <laughs> maybe the Bible raises certain questions or just a normal, casual reading, right? You and I teach mm -hmm. theology. We teach students. Students always are asking questions. Why does the Bible say this here? What does the Bible mean there? Mm -hmm. What does Jesus mean there? Why is this in the Old Testament? All these questions that come up, are there any questions that in your mind uh, or that come to mind in which, say, Aquinas really helps us answer them and we can begin to understand why maybe, as I said, the Bible loves Aquinas mm -hmm. because the Bible, Aquinas helps the Bible speak with the Bible's genuine voice. Yeah, what a what a great question, now that I understand it. Um, let me take a step back, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when St. Thomas asks, what's the point of the Bible? Or the final cause question. What's the point? And he's very clear throughout his career, the point of the Bible is to bring men to eternal life. That's the point. And Wow, that's so simple. It's that's remarkably so simple. simple. Yes. Um, you know, we, we think of St. Thomas being really complicated. And, you know, the reality is what makes Thomas great is he's simple. And this is one of these great moments. You're exactly right. The point of Scripture is to bring men to eternal life. That means to teach them what they need to know about God in order to be saved. It's not facts on file. 
It's essential mm-hmm. information you need to be saved, and then what you need to do to live that. This is what Scripture is fundamentally about for St. Thomas. Why does this matter? It matters because he never loses sight of this. So that he can be in the thick of the weeds in a biblical commentary, but the reality is he's always thinking, but how is this ordered to eternal life? So I think this is one of the, one of the things where St. Thomas serves such a great purpose then and now is he reminds us over and over and over again, uh, lots of interesting ways to read the Bible. We can think of it as ancient Near Eastern history. We can think of it as literature. Um, All those are wonderful and interesting, and Thomas finds them interesting. But fundamentally, when we come to Scripture, why do we come to Scripture? We come to Scripture because we seek eternal life, and we need Scripture in order to get there. And I think so many people today really look for that deeper sense of meaning and purpose Mm -hmm. And in a way, when they are looking for that sense of deeper meaning and purpose, sometimes they have a hard time seeing that Scripture is going to help them Mm -hmm. right away, that like I can turn to Scripture because I understand Scripture. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes Scripture might seem confusing or only for experts. And I think in a way that when we learn what Aquinas has to teach, right, about God, about Jesus Christ and about us, and the way he kind of kind of sits draws that big picture from the Bible, but then also gives us that big picture to take back to the Bible, we can then in a way actually go back to the Bible and we can read the Psalms and we can find them meaningful and encouraging, right? Because we're not confused by maybe the metaphors that come Mm -hmm. up or even, you know, the hyperbole that are the exaggerations that occasionally come up in scriptures. Mm -hmm. No, you're exactly right. And now what I would say is it is in fact confusing, um, uh, but that doesn't mean it's just for the experts. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the things I, I love about St. Thomas, uh, and it's totally the tradition, is to recognize Scripture can be really hard. And um, yes. you know, I'm, I'm reminded yes. of, of St. Augustine uh, when he first reads Scripture and tells us in the Confessions, you know, he's all excited to pursue wisdom. He's 18 years old, and he thinks, yes, I will read Scripture. And he reads Scripture and, and the bishop tells us in the confessions what a disappointment it was because it seemed so simple. It lacked the sophistication of Cicero. Uh, but then the bishop comments on why this was the case. And he says something very interesting about scripture where he says, you know, it's, 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 it's open to the beginner. You know, children can read scripture, right? Yes. It's open to the beginner. And yet the more you get into it, the more you discover it is shrouded in mystery and of mountainous difficulty. Um, what's it take to see that? And Augustine says, and St. Thomas totally um, supports this, agrees with it, what it takes is humility. That if one comes to Scripture with the idea that I am the judge of Scripture, I am the norm, then Scripture will close itself to you. If you come to Scripture to learn, if you come where Christ is the norm by which I'm judged, not I am the norm by which Christ is judged, then scripture starts to open itself up. But when it opens itself up, it opens itself up in such a way that we could say it's confusing, which it is. It's filled with ambiguities, to use Augustine's word. But at the same time, there's incredible depth and richness to it. Um, So that St. Thomas will say at one point, uh, echoing Augustine, um, why, why are there difficult and confusing passages? Why can there be multiple literal interpretations? Because there's different kinds of readers. And the yes. scripture can be shaped 
in divine providence is shaped to accommodate many different kinds of readers. So your point, yes, we come to scripture because in fact, it helps us. That's beautiful. It reminds me a little bit of C.S. Lewis and mere Christianity make some comment where he says, but you know, isn't Christianity just far too complicated? And he says, well, reality often is just like (laughs) physics, you know, to a certain extent, physics can be relatively simple. It can help me figure out how to like, if I throw a football, like what's the trajectory it's going to take. But then I can get into parts of physics I don't even know. I can't even follow the conversation <laughs> of a physicist these days, right? So, right, it's just because that's mm-hmm. what reality is. So we shouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. if that's what the reality of the spiritual life is. On the one hand, it's very mm-hmm. simple, right? Our, our, our journey to God, right? And yet on the other hand, it has, of course, you know, infinite complexity because reality is often like right. that. And, um, and, if the, yeah. and if ultimately the mystery that Scripture brings us to is mystery of God, it's going to be mysterious. Um, and the beautiful, beautiful thing is... Much has been revealed for us to explore and pray about. And then the deeper we get into that, the more we realize this is mysterious. When we think physics is mysterious, God's even more mysterious. That's right. Yeah, I even like to use the example of somebody's, you know, like a best friend or, you know, your your wife after many years. It's like on the one hand, you know her better than anyone else. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, there's a depth (laughs) that you still discover Mm -hmm. new things. And and that's kind of... Uh, you know, the depth and beauty of a person. Uh, so, uh, John, I wanted to s- just shift gears a little bit mm-hmm. and just hear a little bit more about your story, okay? And Uh-oh. so we have a new book here uh, called The Order and Division of Divine Truth. St. Thomas Aquinas is a scholastic master of the sacred page. And uh, there'll be some uh, comments on this, by the way, on the show notes at the end, uh, so you can uh, get this if you'd like. Uh, but this is really kind of... a collection of essays mm-hmm. Indeed it is. that you've written over 25 years, I believe, yeah. in your studies of Aquinas mm-hmm. and scripture. Mm-hmm. And just, I mean, maybe tell me a little bit or, you know, tell our audience, how did you get interested in Aquinas and scripture and that this would become your life work? Yeah. Well, um, I keep coming back to Mr. White and I don't even know Mr. White. <laughs> um, when I went to the Pontifical Institute of Medieval Studies where I did my graduate work, I was a Protestant. And uh, like, many Protestants, I was interested in the scriptures. So I thought the question of scripture in the Middle Ages would be interesting to think about. Uh, truth be told, I wasn't interested in St. Thomas at all, uh, but Toronto was a great place to study Thomas. And it was in Toronto I was actually introduced to St. Thomas as a scripture commentator and discovered that it was one of the great unstudied parts of St. Thomas. In that sense, um, uh, Mr. White is actually right. Um, it, you can make Thomas look what he isn't. And I think that was true, uh, both in Protestant and Catholic circles in many ways. So that sparked my interest in St. Thomas and trying to make sense of St. Thomas mm-hmm. on Scripture. Uh, that was a very long, that was 40 years ago. Um, and I think it's true to say I could count on one hand the number of people that worked in St. Thomas on Scripture at that point. Uh, in the world, um, as I say in Minnesota, that's one hand after a snowblower accident. Uh, you didn't actually <laughs> need all five fingers. Um, and and one of the beautiful things that's happened is this remarkable recovery of interest in St. Thomas. Um, so I think the last time I was here at Ave Maria was for the St. Thomas as Biblical Theologian Conference. Yes. And what was so stunning about that conference was there were 70 people there. Yeah, and, 70 people 
presenting papers. Really? Exactly. Exactly. About 70 in addition to the, yeah, 70 yeah. participants presenting exactly. papers, uh, scholars, uh, professors, doctoral students, yes. right? In addition to the you know, guests, yeah. which is really phenomenal. It was phenomenal. Yeah. And was even more phenomenal as I was the old guy in the room. Uh, so there's, there's, there's great uh, hope and promise. And I think uh, the time is right. Um, so yeah, yeah from my own um, experience as to, to start discovering Thomas is theologian, the deep integrity of scripture in his thinking, uh, which was just intellectually fascinating. And of course, one of the reasons I'm no longer a Protestant. Well, thanks so much for uh, going into that. Uh, let's take a little break for a minute and we'll come back. Great. You're listening to The Catholic Theology Show, presented by Ave Maria University. If you'd like to support our mission, we invite you to prayerfully consider joining our Annunciation Circle, a monthly giving program aimed at supporting our staff, faculty, and Catholic faith formation. You can visit us at avemaria.edu to learn more. Thank you for your continued support. And now, let's get back to the show. So, John, uh, please tell me a little bit about some of the key themes that you treat in this book. Right. And uh, two that come to my mind, uh, I think so many people, when they, if they've even ever, I mean, if they've ever even encountered anything that Aquinas has written about scripture, it seems somewhat kind of maybe foreign. The style seems different. Uh, it's a little harder to read. So in a lot of your work, you emphasize this idea, right, the division of the text, uh, kind of identifying a fundamental theme of Scripture, right, that Aquinas does and how this really helps us to read Scripture. So if you could just say a little bit about that. You bet. Um, yeah, this is really important, and it is very foreign to modern sensibilities. Um, and there's, there's good reason, I think, why people had a trouble trying to figure out what is St. Thomas doing in Scripture, because there's this thing called the division of the text, and it's really easy to skip over it. It's, it's a very simple idea, really. Uh, you're going to divide the text. Now, what's that mean? It means you start by stating what you see to be the principle, St. Thomas says, intention of the author. That is to say, what is it the author is trying to do? Uh, in the that case, almost sounds like a very modern question. It, it, it sounds like the same question we're asking. It's almost that a modern right? question. Yeah, and, yeah. and, of course, St. Thomas always has in mind the bigger question, the bigger reality, which is it's always about getting man to God. Mm-hmm. So in the case of the Gospel of John, for example, he says, what John is doing in the Gospel is proclaiming the divinity of Christ. So that's his vantage point, the divinity of Christ. And in the light of that, he says, how do we divide up the Gospel? And he'll usually divide into one or two parts. And then those parts, he'll divide further, and he'll divide further, and he'll divide further. And it keeps dividing until he gets all the way down to the verse, sometimes even smaller. And so much of his commentary is really this division stuff. Um, and it, it has that look of scholastic logic chopping. They're always making divisions, always chopping things up. Well, yeah, he's chopping it up. Uh, and, and why does he do this? It, it turns out it's, it's very, very important because what it does is it allows you to see the totality of the book in question and then as you read each section, chapter, verse, it allows you to see how St. Thomas situates in relation to the whole. So that you're always reading, if you're reading Thomas carefully, you're always reading any given passage in the light of 
So how does he situate this in relation to the whole, both what's come yeah. before and what goes after? So yeah, just that, if I yeah. pause for a second, it's very interesting because one of the kind of common criticisms of medieval uh, scriptural exegesis is that it proof texts, mm -hmm. takes passages out of context. But what you seem to be indicating is that actually what Aquinas does in his commentaries is he constantly shows how every single text needs to be read within its context, yes. within this part, this particular passage, within this chapter, within this section of the work, within the whole of the book. Yep, exactly right. And in fact, St. Thomas has a divisio of all of Scripture. So that yes. in fact, each book is seen in the light of the division of the whole of Scripture, which is ordered to the salvation. Yeah. I mean, when you have that kind of a vision, then when you look at the particulars, it illuminates them. And, and, and Thomas just, you can read Thomas and think, um, oh, he's just lost in, lost in the weeds here, especially if, if, if one makes the understandable mistake of saying, I wonder what St. Thomas thinks about, and you go to your favorite passage in Scripture, and you open it up, and he doesn't have a, probably have a whole lot to say because he's St. Thomas and he's a man of few words. And you think, boy, there isn't much here. Uh, well, there might not be much in commenting on that particular verse, but there's a whole lot in what it took to get him there and establish the context. Yeah. And if you know the context, it utterly illumines any particular thing he's saying. Yeah. You know, one thing that really helped me understand parts of, like reading both the Summa and reading Aquinas' mm -hmm. uh, biblical works, uh, is this idea that medievals right, did not have smartphones. <laughs> um, that is, but they, they didn't even have the internet, right? Uh, they had very, so they largely actually carried around smartphones in their head. Yes. They developed memories that were immensely capable. So to us, when we read the Summa, we've totally forgotten what he said in question one or question two, mm or you know, all the different questions, or we've forgotten what he said in the introduction to the biblical commentary by the time. We just want to see what does he say about John 6, for instance. Right. I know you talk about in one of your essays. So by the time we get to there, we've forgotten everything he said, because we read more like a novel. We have a hard time. We can only remember things if they're in like a story, right. where what they would create in the medievals were almost kind of like a mental, uh, like it's a, like a mental map, a mental memory cathedral, where as long as they remembered all the different parts, then by the time they got to the particular, they could remember everything that we talked about God. So when we talked about God, we thought about God first as, uh, right, how does, does he, right, uh, how is his existence greater than all creaturely existence? So then by the time we talk about, for instance, grace, well, we remember that God's grace as his action is ever greater than our action, so there's no competition. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't repeat all that when he talks about grace. And so I think it's kind of, in a way, it's a little bit of we have to find ways that when we go back and study, we have to almost write it all out. So to talk about what does John, what does Aquinas say about John 6, we have to see, well, what did he say about the introduction to the chapter of John 6? And what did he say about the introduction of the, chap of the section, John 3 through 6? And in a strange way, then, you know, what we've come to is we've basically come all the way back to modern biblical commentaries, because that's what modern biblical commentaries do, is they say basically the author has an overall point. Uh, it's interesting if you ask, you know, the, I mean, how many times do you hear that, you know, Luke is a physician and therefore he's really attentive yeah. to healing things or he's attentive to women or he's attentive to the poor. He has an overall plan 
And that's helpful if you can see it in the details. And that's basically what Aquinas did. You know, one uh, little detail that Aquinas talks about in the Gospel of John that I find is, again, it kind of says, it's like we often have this image as though the medievals don't know history, the medievals, you know, and, and all of a sudden you realize, well, actually they know a lot. Because and, and Aquinas will say at the beginning of the Gospel of John, right, he says, because Matthew, Mark, and Luke have already been written and have dealt so beautifully with the humanity of Christ, John writes his gospel to show forth the divinity of Christ. You know, fast forward from the 13th century when he's writing to, you know, the 20th century, 21st century, what do we say today? Most people say, well, the gospel of John was written after the other three, just like Aquinas. So it's like Aquinas is, I think, always more historically savvy. And it's often, I think, our ignorance of these very kind of medieval practices that, that are helpful. Uh, so maybe if you could uh, kind of just also then shift that a little bit to how would you talk about like the intention of the author? Yeah, I think intention, we have to be, it, it's a false friend mm-hmm. in many ways in, in, in reading St. Thomas. Uh, intention, intention for St. Thomas when he talks about scripture is what intention means for Thomas generally. Uh, it's the final cause, it's the goal. Okay. So when we talk about intention of the author now, we often mean the meaning of the author. And what did he mean in this passage? This is not what St. Thomas means. Uh, what St. Thomas is talking about is the intention. So the intention of John is to treat the divinity of Christ. Um, that's the overall goal in the light of which, because once you have an intention, then you have to think about what are the means to that end. Uh, and then as you read script, reads John, it's always in the context of that intention. Uh, intention does not mean meaning of the author. Uh, uh, if if one wanted to do that in Latin, it wouldn't be intensio, it would be sensus. And interestingly enough, St. Thomas steadfastly avoids the expression sensus mm. auctoris. Um, so that almost maybe something we would think about kind of like, how was the author feeling? Or what was the author kind yeah. of feeling or thinking while he was writing something? Exactly. So instead of just reading Romans, we think about, well, what was Paul thinking mm-hmm. while he was writing Romans? And we try to, you know, create kind of, we try to imagine a backstory rather than just dealing with the text. That's exactly right. Exactly right. The only the only backstory, in a sense, is what the goal of the book is. Although I think St. Thomas would say, a careful reading of the book suggests what that will be. Mm-hmm. But yes, the, the problem is, back to our issue of confusion, mm-hmm. um, much of Scripture is ambiguous or difficult. And the modern approach to, mm, this is difficult, is, well, what did the author really mean? And this is, this is not a new question. Uh, Augustine talks about it in the Confessions. He had taken flack for one of his interpretations of Genesis. And the response to it is, this is not what Moses meant. And Augustine has a definitive response to this. St. Thomas knows it, uh, which is, and how do you know what Moses meant? Because <laughs> all we've got is the text. Yes. If you have a secret decoder ring, that might work. But no, yeah. the problem is that we've got to deal with the text. Uh, so that the idea of what the author meant as a kind of key to reading scripture, it's not the tradition mm-hmm. because it, it's not fundamentally illuminating. What we've got is the text, and that's why something like the vision meters, because that contextualizes any passage, not just right. in the verses immediately around it, but in the totality of the book, yeah. which helps you get at that question of, so what What did he mean? But it's always grounded in the text. Yeah, and, and in some ways, if you think about what did the church do when the church canonized scripture, mm-hmm. the church canonized a series of texts. Mm-hmm that had already been you know, used in liturgy, they'd been received as authoritative. Mm-hmm. It's not as though the church 
canonize the church like said like everything that this person you know didn't didn't right. didn't canonize the history behind the texts exactly right. and so i think that element is really and it was really and it's interesting too we what do we do at mass right we we proclaim the text mm-hmm. of scripture so it's the text mm-hmm. of scripture that really has to have the meaning exactly um, right so. and it's also interesting the church does not canonize readings of scripture uh yeah you, know, you think those yes. early councils these early debates about the Trinity and, and about about Christ, they all have their origin in reading Scripture. I mean, Arius has this Scripture, Athanasius has this Scripture. What I find fascinating is the councils never say, and you must read this passage this way. What the councils do is they say, this is the truth about the triune God. This is the truth about Christ, period. Now, yeah. you go read Scripture. If you read Scripture in such a way that denies the divinity of Christ to the humanity of Christ, we know you're wrong. We don't have to have a debate about that passage. We just know you're wrong because the church has taught us what the truth is. That's liberating for readers of Scripture because it it keeps the possibility of many ways of reading a passage alive, provided, another great principle from Augustine, which St. Thomas echoes, how do you know a reading of Scripture is wrong? You know because it's contrary to the truth. Yes, and again, in some ways, that goes back to what's the overall point of Scripture to help us, right, to be to return to God our Father, yeah, right, exactly as right. as children of God and the Holy Spirit, uh, and and if that's the overall principle, then the question is, certain beliefs may jeopardize our salvation, exactly. Right? Right. If God, if Jesus isn't God, He can't save, and if He's not man, then we're not saved. Mm-hmm. So we need to hold on to that. But that's what the and and in some ways, that's what the early apostles were, you know, kind of running around the Mediterranean. Uh, and sharing the good news, yeah. right? That that Jesus Christ had been killed, that he rose again, uh, the right that in his name we may have eternal life, we may receive the Holy Spirit, we may have the forgiveness of sins through baptism. Right? Uh, this is, in a way, the good news that was proclaimed and that fundamental proclamation that, in a way, predated Scripture, mm-hmm. turns out to be the same apostolic proclamation that that safeguards it. And I feel like that's what, ironically, Aquinas is doing mm-hmm. by emphasizing uh, the meaning of these texts within the element. I want to shift gears for uh, a moment. And I just wanted to ask, so I think in some ways dealing with this question, Aquinas obviously is a great philosopher, mm-hmm. right? He definitely loves the Bible. He quotes the Bible a lot. He writes on the Bible, but he's also a brilliant philosopher. Mm-hmm. So I think in a way sometimes today, and I just want to ask you if you could maybe articulate this as, that we often tend to think of rash, we tend to think of reason as rash and rationalism, uh, rather than kind of maybe a, a bigger philosophy that's open to uncovering the mysteries of the creator of the universe, versus a kind of maybe a modern rationalism that thinks we can explain everything in terms of human reason. So is there any way you could talk about kind of maybe, you know, why Aquinas loves philosophy, but why Aquinas is not a rationalist? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we could think about it this way, Michael. Um, you know, the, the category for St. Thomas is wisdom. It's about the wise man. And what is it, St. Thomas says, what is it that the wise man does? The wise man judges and orders things. in uh, in the truly wise is the one who judges and orders in the light of the highest cause, which is God. Now, when we judge and order, um, fundamentally, that means we got to understand 
the things that we're judging and putting in order. Uh, and to understand them, we need to understand the causality of them, which is just a way of saying we understand what they are, where they come from, where they're going. And of course, the ultimate answer to that is God, because all things come from God, and all things are going back to God. Mm-hmm. For St. Thomas, this is the ultimate vision, and, the, and then the, it's the task of the wise man to order and judge in order to understand and know things and ultimately order and judge his own life and then to teach. So I think for St. Thomas, one might say this, what a glorious gift Scripture is to help us understand things so that we can judge rightly and order things and order our lives. What a glorious thing reason is that we've been given this remarkable tool by which, well, in fact, we couldn't judge and order without reason. Um, Cucumbers don't do this. Dogs don't (laughs) do this. Only we do this. And I think the beauty of St. Thomas is you don't waste resources. Um, You use your reason. You use scripture. You use the teachings of the church. Um, But the wise man judges and orders. He recognizes there's an order here. And the revelation of God comes first in the order. Uh, And that our reason is subservient. And when that happens, then you start to see the glory of things. It's it's wonderful. Yes, right. Seeing in a way the universe as not merely, right, dirt, right, right, dirt that spins around really fast and gets really hot Mm -hmm. and occasionally forms stars and black holes Mm -hmm. and then occasionally dirt that somehow seems to pop up into right, slime and eventually plants and animals. But in a way, what if the universe is fundamentally, right, logos, mm-hmm. right? That the universe right. is somehow a thinking thing. Like when I look at the universe, one of the strange things that's in the universe, right, is myself. I have a friend uh, who's a priest and he's uh, said sometimes that when uh, stu- people will talk to him, and just kind of say, you know, Father, I'm having, I'm having a hard time believing in God, right? And, and you know, I just don't know if God exists. He's, he's gonna say, well, do you believe that you exist, right? And, and in a way, if we believe we exist and we believe we have consciousness and we have awareness and we have a mind and we have a logos, then that means the universe is not dirt. I've just proven it, <laughs> right? Uh, and, you know, and, and so I think this kind of begins to open up a sense of wonder and to realize if I see the world as coming from a creator, as having a higher purpose, I may not always see the purpose, Sometimes I'm going to see, right, the sunset, and I'm going to say, like, wow, God's an artist. And sometimes I'm going to see death and suffering and my own sin, and I'm going to see, oh, my word, right? What were you thinking, right? And that's when I can then go to the idea of saying that, um, you know, it's like, I see what he was thinking because he, right, he entered the world in his son, right? And, you know, he came out of love, and he came to enter into our suffering, and you know, the uh, great thing is, yes. dirt's even more interesting Yes, in the light of the logos. Absolutely, yes. Because, yeah. well, the strange thing about dirt is we can study it. Yeah. I mean, people actually do. You probably, yeah. you know, lots of scientists yeah. spend all day studying. It's really, it's really cool. Stars are really interesting. Yeah. Dirt yeah. is interesting. Yeah. Soil, yeah. plants, animals, right? Actually, everything becomes more interesting. Everything. And lo and behold, we were perhaps created to live in a garden yeah. and, and work until soil. Uh, so, you know, I really want to thank you so much for uh, this time we've had together. I want to leave with uh, three questions. Uh, so you can, quick questions, uh, not necessarily easy, but um, we'll see how you do. So uh, first, what's one book you're currently reading? Um, I'm reading, actually, I just finished Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. 
Wow. Wow. That's so great. Probably not what your audience expected. No, that's good. That's good. What's one practice uh, that you find helps your spiritual life? Daily prayer. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, You're nothing without it. I'm nothing yeah. without it. So this one's a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's one commonly, maybe what's one maybe falsehood about God that you held or that you think is commonly held that really kind of, I, I don't know, like prevents people from living well? And right, that theology can help us to understand better the truth about God. I, I wouldn't put it, I had it false. Something, I, I'd say something I didn't appreciate, but have come to appreciate is God as Father. Um, and perhaps because I became a Catholic and came of age in that time when um, many were working very hard to eliminate the language of Father and Son mm-hmm. uh, from theology and even Catholic worship. Um, I was a little slow on that uptake. Um, uh, so I never denied it, but to come to see, I was going to say, to come to see what it means to God as Father, I have no idea fully what it means to God as Father. Yes. Um, that's the kind of thing you pray about, but it's such a beautiful teaching. And I think um, it, it's one of the things that just makes the faith so beautiful, is that God is our Father. Uh, that's wonderful. So, uh, Dr. Boyle, uh, can you say a little bit more about how people uh, might order a copy of your book or at least find out more information about it? You bet. Um, uh, the book, uh, The Order and Division of Divine Truth, St. Thomas Aquinas as Scholastic Master of the Sacred Page, um, is available from Emmaus Academic, and that's the easiest. Go to Emmaus Academic. Uh, and for those who are really interested in the question of Scripture, I think in December they tell me um, I'll have a little book coming out again from Emmaus Academic, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas on Scripture, a primer. I'm looking forward to reading it, and hopefully you'll come back on our show sometime. Love to be back. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You're very welcome, Michael. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. If you like this episode, please rate and review it on your favorite podcast app to help others find the show. And if you want to take the next step, please consider joining our Annunciation Circle so we can continue to bring you more free content. We'll see you next time on The Catholic Theology Show.